Hello and welcome back. It's been Yamin Rhodes and myself, Gedalia Gutentag, with Mishpacha's Homefront, a wide-angle view of Israel's biggest conflict in a generation. Hello, Yamin. Hello, Gedalia. It's been a new week and lots of new developments. Including, just in the last few hours, more Hezbollah bombardments from the north, including the hitting pinpoint accuracy, the sliding yellow armored gate that's the entrance to a place called Shtula, which is literally on the northern border. When I say on the northern border, very close by, with obviously under the guns of Hezbollah. And that's a message again for the sending that we can see. And uh, you can't do, and we have a way of getting to you with pinpoint accuracy. And Bidiawin, it just shines a light on this coal. We've noted this repeatedly over the past few weeks, kind of the scary accuracy with which Hezbollah can, a good few miles back from the border to Hamiran, can hit sensitive installations. They hit Hamiran, the listening post atop that a few weeks ago. And then they hit Northern Command's headquarters last week on Harkonnen in Tzfat. Here they go again. And I've been wondering what capabilities do they have to do that, especially those very freaky videos in which you can clearly some TV guided missile zeroing in very accurately on the thing itself, on the target. And now I'm glad to see by the good offices of Kalkalist, which is an Israeli financial newspaper, which often has useful videos explaining various current events and a little program called Hakvarnit, Captain, as in the airline captain, it explains it. It explains to me that, believe it or not, that it's just a bunch of copycats. Would you believe it, Binyamin? That the enemies have actually, they're using as a missile called the Almas, which was revealed in 2021, Iranian missile, not original. It is a reverse engineered copy of an Israeli missile called the Spike, which is an advanced anti-tank guided missile, man-portable thing. And there it is. It's very accurate and it's being fired at us ourselves. What do you think about that, Binyamin? This is what happens every time we have a drone that crashes over the border or any other weaponry that lands and doesn't explode, which happens to us sometimes also. And our enemies take them and they, as you say, reverse engineer them, which means they uh, take a look at how they were built and they find a way to build them themselves. That's how the Chinese are able to pilfer and uh, copy a lot of software and other technology items that they've copied over the years rather than uh, developing something original themselves. Hezbollah, little by little, is showing their red teeth and increasing their capabilities and hoisting them on us. It's something we need to watch out for. You could see it happening already the week before when they started firing once again on Kiryat Shmona. Many years ago, during the Second Lebanon War, and even earlier, Kiryat Shmona was one of the favorite top targets for Hezbollah. It's a really beautiful town. I've been up there many times. People who've gone to Spot often end up taking the about a 20-minute, half-hour drive from there to Kiryat Shmona. If you want a really nice thing to do during apple harvest season is right near Kiryat Shmona, you go to Kibbutz Manera and you take a cable car up and uh, you can go to where they're harvesting the apples and buy buckets of freshly picked apples for a very reasonable price. Yum, and yum. Yes, exactly. It's Usually it's later in the year. They won't hold up for the Haroset for Pesach, but uh, it's a really nice thing to do up there. And... It's a shame to see Hezbollah attacking that area again, because it's one of the beautiful areas of Eretz Israel. It's a tourist site, and Kirit Shmona had just recovered very nicely. I remember how much property prices went down during the bombings. You had homes going for, okay, in those days, like a little over $100,000, when they used to go for $150,000, $170,000. Okay, now the prices are uh, five times as high, basically. But nevertheless, as I said, Kirit Shmona had recovered, and now it's being bombarded again. Israel is going to have to do something about this, and they're going to have to do something about it fast. Binyamin, 
Let it not be said that we are focused totally on the war. We do take in other subjects calling for a good investment decisions. This is probably a good time to invest in the North because, as you say, Israel is going to have to do something and it eventually will because there's 100,000 people still out their homes, these places. I tried to get a permit actually to go along the northern border recently via the army spokesman's office, the IDF spokesman's unit, and it's very hard to come by. And it's because it's incredibly dangerous. As we just see, there's people there, there must be hundreds of them literally sitting there with their long range binoculars tracking every vehicle that goes and they're not sending traffic and this is far back from the border it's very distressing and we have done that it's that we find some way to push these enemies back we've said this repeatedly over here but let's move just on that topic i'll just note that one interesting thing we've talked repeatedly about the connection to the Kippur war and the sunkhotara war over here it was so obvious from the beginning and the symbolism it obviously was in the back of the hamas's mind that the historic connotations of the 50 year round anniversary but there's one thing over here as well, which is that these anti-tank missiles were Israel's answer to the stuff that was used by Syria and Egypt back in 1973, because it was those armies that deployed Soviet-developed SAGA missiles. They were called the anti-tank missiles of the day, which were called SAGAs. And interesting historic note, or rather linguistic historic note, is that Israeli soldiers didn't call them SAGAs, they called them suitcases, right? They called them Izvadot suitcases. And the reason was because they came in a suitcase-like box to carry onto the battlefield. And these Israeli soldiers had no idea. They suddenly saw these Egyptians and Syrians run onto the battlefield lugging a suitcase. And then there was these missiles that kind of, they were described, they drifted out towards them very lazily. They didn't know what they were. And they were only, they had a little red light in the tail by which the operator could track them. And they weren't remotely guided. They were guided via a wire, literally a wire, which was unspooling. And this why, when it missed, used to wrap itself around the tank's radio. Anyway, there's the history. We're now seeing, in other words, the Arab armies first employed in a very real way these missiles, which Israel then went better on them. And now they've gone back the other way and unfortunately been used against us. But if we can leave the Northern Front behind and go for the New York Times Front, where we've seen repeatedly, obviously, some really nasty reporting from mainstream media outlets, as expected. But there's one thing that just struck me in the last couple of days. In the New York Times, what I've started to see is what I call the numbed Israeli trope. And it goes like this. When you're an outlet which is fairly hostile or very hostile to Israel, then if you're trying to defend Israeli behavior and excuse it for the inexcusable crime of killing lots of Palestinians, including many thousands of terrorists, then what are you going to do, Benyam? You get up there as you write that you have to excuse them. They're just lashing out in a blind rage, which is understandable because they've just been massacred. And they're numbed. And that's the numbed Israeli trope. Let me just read out to you a few lines from the piece done about how it goes like this. Four months into the war with mounting deaths, hostages still held by Hamas, no clear victory in sight. Israelis' own pain, uh, their own pain has numbed many Israelis to the suffering of Gazans, let alone the pain of the Palestinian citizens of Israel itself. That's the numbed thing. I'm just sorry to quote you at length here, Benjamin, but it's just to got to understand the context of what's getting me worked up. It quotes a man who's a left-wing Israeli and says, he just returned after more than 100 days in Gaza having lost friends. Mr. Shabtai, 31, considered himself on the political left. No sense of revenge, but he said that we have no choice but to operate to disarm Gaza and you need to pay a terrible price. And I say to you, are these people blind as to what they just wrote? They quoted a perfectly normal explanation for why it is that Israel is acting as it is. And then it says, no, it must be because they're numbed. That numbed Israeli trope is so blind. These people are blind to what they're saying. And I think it's just a canard. We are not Binyamin. We're not numbed. We are acting very rationally, very simple.
we have to take care of Gaza as only as any reasonable country would go. I just resent this cannot, this trope of the numbed Israeli. I think Benny Gantz actually put it uh, best, and I'm happy to quote him because we've been often quite critical of Benny Gantz on this program, but he also does some good things and is saying some good things. And he addressed this on Sunday afternoon when he spoke to the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations that's meeting here this week. What Gantz said in essence, and this is a very important point, is that he made it very clear that this is not a revenge attack. He says, let me be clear, this is an exact quote. We are operating in Gaza, not out of revenge for October 7th, but out of a clear conviction to secure our future, the future of Israel's next generations. We will continue fighting in any scenario until we achieve our goals. That doesn't sound like someone who's numb or or someone who's just reacting emotionally. That sounds like someone who has internalized what's going on and is very calculated and very experienced militarily and politically as well. And perhaps the New York Times should interview him the next time they want to come up with one of these rote stories. Forgive me if I say when you have a worldview and you're wedded to it, I don't think it makes a difference who you quote. You're going to do the commentary. The numbed Israeli thing is just very revealing as to that worldview. I think it's time, it's high time that we ended with a positive good note, which we've not done for a while properly in the real sense. Over to you. So I've got a couple of items here, which I believe are positive. Uh, One of them is military. The other pertains to the Jewish people. So according to the Wall Street Journal, the Biden administration is now going to send Israel a minimum of 1,000 Mark 82 bombs. And the Mark 82 bomb has a lethal range of about two and a half kilometers. So a very powerful bomb. And I would imagine that it'll be used for tunnels and to try to clean them out. Alongside that, they're going to provide us with about a thousand, what are called JDAMs and uh, the JDAM. Joint direct attack munition. I'm not. Yes. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for uh, providing that information for me. Basically what that does is it takes dumb bombs, if you will, and uh, makes them into bombs, which has precision guidance. Now we know that one of the criticisms of the U.S., of Israel's military activity has been that, according to them, we're sometimes uh, indiscriminately bombing or killing too many civilians. If we have the capability of converting some of our bombs into smart bombs, which are, again, precision-guided, that should help us continue on the attack with a minimum of civilian casualties, which uh, tends to slow down our operations. And it should give the IDF more confidence that they have what they need in order to pursue uh, the strategy, which against, as we said earlier, said that the strategy is to continue fighting in any scenario until we achieve our goals. But to me, the best thing of all is I heard today that in Siderot, which is one of the towns in the northwest Negev near Gaza, so uh, people are starting to return and uh, school started up again today. First for the lower grades, by the end of the week, the higher grades should be coming back also. Now, there's a lot of security there. The only way that they can go to school is in reinforced buildings with bomb shelters. But the fact that things are starting to return to normal and the supermarkets are opening again, and once again, kids are going back to school is a good sign. And Halavai, we should see this along with the rest of the area that borders Gaza, not to mention the north. Let me just conclude with echo one thing, which is that if anyone who knows Stirot knows that for 20 years, they were suffering what the rest of the country was pretty well oblivious to, which was the almost daily rain of drip of mortar rounds and rockets fired at them. And the whole generation just traumatized. If any, I spent time on the ground there. 
And they'll be able to go back in peace and the rest of the country should not tolerate the kind of low-level constant terror that they've endured 20 years, even before the October the 7th attack. May we all see lots of peace and blessing today. And to you and all our listeners. 